Let's talk about facts. Captain Crunch, if you don't let it soak in the roof of your mouth, it will, or soak in the milk, it'll cut the roof of your mouth. Am I wrong? Half clap, full clap. Full clap. So I'll talk about some more facts about cereal. I love cereal, by the way. How many of you are like my cereal fans? You love sugar cereal. How many of you just are lying and you're afraid to put your hand up? See, the reason why I love cereal is because here's a fact about me. When I was a kid, my mom never let me have sugar cereal, okay? Like, you know, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. I didn't know what those were until I was, well, at North Central. And <laughs> the truth is, I got normal cereal, like health cereal, like shredded wheat. I was the most regular eight-year-old that's a fact. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Danielle, for 21 years. That's a fact. Uh, 22 this August. She's here. Danielle, where are you? Right there. Hi, hi sweetheart. Um, everybody half clap, full clap. For my wife, full clap. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You're learning. You're learning. Uh, there's all kinds of facts. Uh, my wife and I are in an assignment over our head at Summit. Uh, we're not taking a salary. Uh, for an entire year at that church. We've sewn it all into what God's doing there again in St. Paul. That's a fact. There's also a merch table in the back with my books <laughs> for sale. That's a fact. <laughs> the Supreme Court on the fourth floor uh, in their building has a basketball court. Yeah, that's a fact. It's known as the highest court in the land. That's not a dad joke. That's an actual fact. And a dad joke. That's a double fact. Toby Mack, a friend of mine that I tour with. Yes, I just dropped his name. Yes, he's my friend. Uh, and no, it's not a big deal. But the truth is, is, we were talking just recently. I was in Florida. He walked up to me and he goes, Eric, I got to talk to you about something. I'm his tour pastor on these tours. I also do a couple other things like speak once in a while and teach the Bible. And he, he just said, hey, I, I, I got to talk to you um, about something. I said, about what? He goes, um, well... It's, it's, it's hard to talk about. And he's totally baiting me. And I'm just like, what? You know? And I go, what's going on? He goes, my wife, she's thinking about leaving me. I go, what? Yeah, it's because of my addiction to poker. I go, man, that sounds horrible. He goes, yeah, I think she's bluffing. <laughs> Best dad joke ever. Fact. If you didn't get that joke, it's because you don't play cards, because you're Pentecostal and you're from the assemblies. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Fact, I didn't even know what playing cards were. Uno was the devil's tools. Like, my first like, movie I went to was The Little Mermaid. Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think... You guys all need to get saved going to theaters. Wow, I can't believe this. Uh, it's harder to get into Walmart than it is Harvard, fact. Harvard has an acceptance rate of 4.5, Walmart's 2.6. It's harder to get into Walmart than it is Harvard. That's a fact. Do you know that it's illegal to hunt unicorns in Michigan? 
Yeah, that's a fact. Interesting fact nonetheless, but it's a fact. There's all kinds of different facts. Cookie Monster. How many of you love Cookie Monster? How many of you know Cookie Monster's real name? It's Sid. Stop calling him Cookie Monster. He's a person too, okay? It's Sid, not Cookie Monster. Why do we tell people who they are and the problems they have? Cookie Monster, you're such a monster and you like cookies. It's Sid, he's a person. Do you know that you're more likely to be killed by a vending machine than you are a shark? That's a fact. I read about it in a book about it. Electricity was discovered in 1752-ish. French guy arguably did it before, but Benjamin Franklin gets the credit. Do you remember the story? It was stormy. He decided to fly a kite. The kite is electrified by this bolt of lightning. The string that connects the kite to the earth has got water running down it conducting electricity. Benjamin Franklin has a key at the end, and depending on the, like the story you read, whether you went to public school or, or, or you were homeschooled, you, <laughs> it's a fact. How many of you homeschool your kids? Okay, that's a beautiful thing. We tried that for two years, and we wanted to kill them. <laughs> that's a fact. I... I'm repenting publicly. <laughs> it was difficult. If you're a homeschool family, let's just say your kids that are running around family camp unattended, going everywhere, doing everything, riding Mach 12 on their scooter. Actually, those were my kids, but it's okay. You need a break. Let them go. They'll be fine. Worst case scenario, we'll find them at the blob. <laughs> the truth is, the ring or a bell, electricity jumps for the first time. Franklin records this. And electricity is really born, in a sense. But it's discovered in 1752. It's been there the entire time, but in 1752 is when that became a fact. You know, my prayer for this week for your family and for you, no matter how long you've been following Christ, is that family camp would be like electricity for you. Like something that God has that's been there all along, but it becomes something new that keeps the lights on in your heart. We're going to journey through a few things in Scripture while I have you here today and tomorrow. And I promise in the morning we'll end on time because the Holy Spirit ends here at 12. That's a fact. I asked him. He said that's okay to say that. But as we flow in the evenings and as God does something special throughout the week, as amazing people that God will use in your life that are not always on this stage, that are out there by the horseshoes, 
I just pray that God's got something amazing for you that's a discovery that's been there all along that you discover for the first time or you harness in a new way. Does that make sense? We live in a world where facts or truth or conviction is an interesting subject. People seem to have their own version of facts or conviction or truth. Much of the things that I think we have experienced in the last few years as people, whether in this season of the pandemic or watching a news station, it's hard to figure out what is real. What's truth? I mean, I remember certain situations where there's a fact that one news channel said was truth, and then I flip it over to the other channel, and then the fact that I just learned was true is completely the opposite of what I'm now hearing is true. And we're caught in the tension of what is truth, what is conviction, where do we get this? And so let's just look to Scripture here. I've got a little bit of foundation about facts. You know, Jesus talks about this in John 14, 16. Where, where, do, the, where do the facts come from here? Uh, John 14, excuse me, 26. Where, where does our teaching of truth come from? Where does it flow? Where do we get our, our facts But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is this dispensary of truth, of of facts. He teaches you what? Christ's teachings. He brings to remembrance what? The things of God. This is what the Holy Spirit does for you. Do you you understand this process has been around since the beginning of time? I want you to just not go to your Bible for the sake of ending on time. I just want you to think about Genesis. Where was the Spirit of God over the waters? He was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. When God said, what happened? When God spoke, the word of God and the spirit of God collide for the first time recorded in scripture. And then what happens? Creation is what? Born. What do you think happens when you're searching for truth in your life? You're looking for facts. And you place yourself in front of the word of God and the spirit of God that's in you collide. What is born? A new creation in you. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and for the first time, God's Word and the Spirit collide. But in the New Testament, where is the Holy Spirit? In you. You are the carrier of that Spirit. And when you place yourself, who's housing that Spirit, in front of the Word of God, what do you think happened in Genesis? Is it happening in you? The truth is, is reading your Bible is not about reading it to finish it. It's about reading it to be changed by it. The truth is, is you don't read this to get through it. You read it so it gets through to you. It's where the Spirit of God and the Word of God collide and new creation is born. That is a fact. 
This is where we get this truth. God's word and the spirit colliding in us. This is where teaching and truth become so vital for us in a world of, of facts. Now, if you think about um, what else the Holy Spirit does, I, I, I think we need to talk about our convictions. So in John 16... Eight, he who comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So if we get our truth or our facts from God's word and our convictions Come where? Truthfully, I'll, I'll be honest with you. A lot of Christians think their convictions come from Fox News. They think their convictions come from some person or an opinion. And, and don't, don't fall prey to this, church. Because we've got a formula that exists right now in our state here in the West. And it's simply popular opinion equals correct convictions. Like, if enough people think that this is okay, then it must be okay because everyone thinks so. Does that make sense? You see it all the time. You see people wrestling with facts, with truth, with conviction, and they boil it down to a public majority. So majority equals truth, which equals now morality. So we're getting our morality that is based in truth, but that truth is simply based in what enough people declare is true. I could go through the list of different things that we have faced and that we will face, and when you see it in our culture or in your churches or in your communities, if enough people think it's right, then it certainly is truth, and so it certainly must be morality. And notice um, the little M and the little T. I also think that we, we have to really look at how people personalize this idea of facts. Like if the Holy Spirit is our teacher and that's where truth comes from and those things are our source of conviction, I think people sometimes personalize this to them. Like personal opinions equal truth, which equals facts. Um, like, or maybe even you could you could swap out facts for feelings. Or personal opinion equals um, feelings, which equals facts. I mean, there's a few equations here. People say that to me at Summit. Now, Summit, by the way, needs your prayers. Uh, the church has been there a long time, almost 100 years. God has indefinitely called me there. Now, my board gets to vote on that in three years, but... That was a joke for all of you that know bylaws in your churches. But the truth is, is God's got me there for a little bit. I've never wanted to be a part of something and quit at the same time. So we need a miracle. We need a miracle. 
We need all kinds of miracles in downtown St. Paul. So keep praying for us. And you know what? I'm going to take our own offering right now. Get the buckets out. Get Clarence up here. We're raising money for Summit. I'm kidding. Clarence, come. Now's your cue. But the truth is, is people come into like the church at Summit all the time and they say, I'm really looking for a church that just fits, you know, my, my convictions. I'm really looking for a church um, who just kind of fits what I believe. And I'm like, well, you're, look, you're, you're at the wrong church. And this isn't probably a good church for you to be a part of or visit. Thanks for coming. It's a great growth strategy. The truth is, is not that attendance is numerical equation or equal to discipleship, but in November, when Clarence was there as the interim, there was 43 people, including kids, staff, animals, gathered on a Sunday morning. We're talking about Summit Church, downtown St. Paul, which was 1,200 strong, you know, at some point. Now, we haven't dipped below 200 attendants, you know, people gathered there on, on a weekly basis in the last three weeks. God's shifting and moving and changing. It's great. But part of the conversation, and by the way, I don't tell you those things so you think I'm successful. Because i got to be really honest with you, church. I have no idea what I'm doing. And when you attempt something that goes beyond yourself, you're actually attempting the things God's been calling you to. If he doesn't show up, it's a dismal failure. But I get these people that want me or the church to be palatable for them. And I don't say this because I want to demonize people or situations or I don't empathize with those that do not believe as we believe or I'm not understanding fully the issues in an urban environment. No offense to anyone from Bemidji. <laughs> but downtown St. Paul isn't Malax, okay? It's a different animal altogether. But I, I run into this a lot in people's lives. Where they want what they think to be truth and that equals their facts. They, they want what people think around them to be truth. And I, I, I don't want that for me. I don't want that for Summit. I don't want that for you. I want you to base your opinion or your truth on what God says. On what his word teaches. Whether you like it or not. Whether it's palpable for you or it's an easy thing to get through. I want you to just know that God's word and God's ways equals truth. And that's not always easy because some of those things will, will show up and it will cause us to make declarations and decisions that sometimes need a little bit of diplomacy. Sometimes maybe need a little sensitivity. But when I'm really talking about God's word and God's ways, this is, this is where we've got to keep coming back to what is true. What is truth? So I want to give you four facts today. Okay? 
four facts that are from God's word that I think you need to know. And we're going to end early, if not on time. Before we get started, because I haven't really even started my message yet. (laughs) Can you just look to your neighbor that you didn't come here with or someone that's in your vicinity? And I'm going to give you one minute to do this. Just go tell them a fact about yourself. Ready? Go. One, two, three. Go tell somebody you don't know a fact about yourself. Could be your name. Could be your job. Give them a fact. Some of you, remember, tell the truth. You're not that young. Don't lie about your age. This was great. All right. You can sit down. You can continue the conversation. You have all week, people. I'm leaving tomorrow. You can continue this today. Just, is that what it takes? Just someone to give you a little shove? All right, open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. God, we just ask today that you would remind us all Four simple truths, four simple facts that I just pray God resonate, maybe one, maybe all, to your people today. God, I thank you for this opportunity for me to be in such a special place to my family personally, but just even here, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for allowing, for you allowing me to do this. Get me off this stage, put you on display. Let them forget me, but remember your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to skip through a little bit of 1 Samuel here, but we'll get to where we're going. There's a guy named Elkanah. I just call him E. He had two wives. Sounds like a problem. All I need to go is 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I know this guy's got problems. And that's not an offensive statement to all the ladies out here. That's just truth. Facts. Two wives. Am I wrong? Guys, if you're here with your spouse, just lean over and say, I'm so glad I got one wife and it's you. (laughs) That's right. That was good. A little weird, but whatever. Listen, if you think that today and tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night won't be weird, you're at the wrong camp. Because I like weird. you got to embrace the awkward until it becomes anointed. Let's just talk about that for a second. Christians need to start doing that. When you're at the gas pump, this isn't even my message. This is just for you. When you're at the gas pump and there's the other person across on the other gas pump and they're pumping their gas and you're pumping your gas, your liquid gold at eight bucks a gallon. You know, and you're pumping your gas and they're pumping their gas. And by the way, can we just talk about the gas pumps just for a second? Why do they ask you 400 questions? Do you want to come inside? Do you want a roller dog and get, you know, dysentery? Do you want a car wash? Do you want a receipt? 
Are you sure you don't want a car wash? Are you a Cub Foods reward member? No, I'm in the full price club. I'm keeping it strong. I know guac costs extra, and I don't want your discount. I'm not going to use your dumb points anyway for a coffee mug or like a Snickers bar. I'm 43 years old. I should have stopped eating candy and sugar cereal a long time ago, but I can't because my mom and dad scarred me for life. Now as an adult, that's all I do. Facts. All right, moving on. Could you imagine, though, you're at that gas pump and the other person's over there, and then you just do what Jesus did at Zacchaeus, and you're just like, hey, how you doing? I'm coming over to your house today for dinner. So what are you making? Where do you live? Embrace the awkward till it becomes anointed. You never know. He had two women. So if you do that, some of you are going to get arrested. Anyways, he had two wives. One was Hannah, and one was Fenaniah, and one of them had children, but Hannah had no children. This is important to note. Why is it important to note? Because a woman's value had everything to do with what she could birth, what she could bring out of her body. And if you didn't have the ability to have kids then you didn't have value here. At this point in time, at this place in history, in the first part of the first book of Samuel, if you were a woman who didn't have kids or couldn't bear children, especially sons, then you didn't have any value. And can I just mention very briefly to the women that are here, that in the first part of Genesis, when God made the earth, I'm talking to my wife right now. When God made the earth, Danielle, he made all of these things, spoke them into existence, makes Adam out of dirt, breathes air into the dirt. So if I sometimes act like a dirt ball filled with hot air. You, I'm just living in my identity, Danielle. <laughs> I'm talking to my wife. None of you are here. But what you need to know, Danielle, is that God made Adam and he just said it was good, like the world was good. It was good is the word he used. And then in the second chapter of Genesis, he changes his cadence. God goes, you know, I've thought about this for a second. It's not good. I see this guy. I see everything I made. It's good. But this guy, it's not good. And then he made you for me. And he made many others for them. And that's when he said it was very good. And I'm talking to you, Danielle, today is when you look in the mirror and you ever question if you're enough for me or the kids. I want you to know the world was just good until you got here. And then it became very good. And what's true for you is true for every woman in this room. 
And when you look in the mirror and the enemy wants to whisper to you that you're not enough, that your shape is wrong, that your hair is this, that your eye color should be that, that you should act or be this person, that somehow, some way, in some physical trait, some emotional reality, some place inside where there's this little, little whisper of insecurity, of you self-degradating your own self. I want you to know, ladies, that the world was just good until you got here and then it became very good. So when the enemy whispers to you that you are not enough, you just got to whisper back, no, I'm very good. Facts. You can clap, not half clap either. Get your hands together. I'm watching you. I will come down there. All right, we're going to end on time. We better hurry. Hannah's got no children. She comes to this place where she is praying before the Lord. And Eli is watching her mouth. And she's speaking in her heart. And only her lips were moving. And Eli thought she was drunk. Hannah is definitely Pentecostal. Relax. An unknown tongue speaking mysteries to God, or to men, but unto God. That got real weird in here all of a sudden. <laughs> the truth is, is Eli sees her doing this and she goes, he goes, what, what's going on here? She's praying. She's acting a little crazy. I mean, Paul even talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He goes, he, in, in the 2 Corinthians 14, I'm going to say 40, 50, I got to look it up. I, he goes, don't do this in public. People will think you're drunk. People think you're crazy. He's talking about the gift of tongues. And so Eli's watching this happen. I don't know explicitly. I would argue theologically that since Jesus hasn't come and the Holy Spirit hasn't come after Christ, that she's probably not speaking in tongues. But the truth is, is Eli doesn't understand what's going on here. And he walks up to her and he basically says, you're, you're going you're gonna to have a baby. She's calling out to God for this gift. Verse 19, he has some time with his wife, family camp, <laughs> talking about Christmas presents. I got a buddy that lived uh, in a trailer with his wife as they built their house, and they just talked about Christmas presents. And it came in due time after Hannah conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel because I've asked of the Lord. But Hannah didn't go up and tell her husband. She actually brings him to the temple and dedicates him there. Now, thank the Lord when, when people come to Summit and they have me dedicate their babies that their babies don't stay at church. What would I do? Like, Hannah dedicates Samuel, and he stays there at the temple for service unto God. Can you imagine? You go to a baby dedication. Here's little Lemuel. That's a name in the Bible that you shouldn't ever name your child. But if you named him Lemuel, I actually met one. He was one of the coolest kids I've ever met in my life. And this is little Lemuel. Will you all be a part of his life to 
having to hold from this day forward till death do you part. Different sermon, but moving on. And what do you do? You agree and there's an exchange. And then Lemuel goes home with his parents. But what happens if he stays at your church? What are you going to do with all these kids? So Hannah leaves Samuel there after she gives birth. Dedicates him to the Lord, this gift that she's got. When I was at North Central, uh, it was Bible college at that point uh, where I met Danielle. Uh, So a lot of people used to call it North Central Bridal College, you remember. And then we were the NCO Flames, which worked for a little bit until they thought that through. And then, you know, we went to be the Rams. And um, I worked at HCMC because I wanted to graduate debt-free. Took me a little bit longer to go through Bible school at North Central. And they didn't have a master's program then. I now have a master's of divinity uh, at, from, from, from Northwestern and Bethel, uh, which there again is another fancy word for debt. I got books in the back. <laughs> but the truth is, I was the guy that served meals to the people in their rooms. You know, the galley person that walks in, gives you the food you don't really want, that your family's going to bring other food anyway. But I would bring them into people's rooms. I got really good uh, at doing this job. I actually got in charge of some of the harder wings uh, in the hospital. One of them happens to be the, um, the OB unit where all the ladies are given birth. Because, you know, you walk into a room and you never know when a lady's pregnant what she's going to say or what she's going to throw at you. <laughs> I've had three kids. I, I know it's a tough time. I remember Danielle, like, just going, I get this baby out of me. I can't handle, you know, there, and there's the joyous parts of it, too. It's just, it's an interesting state of hormones. Those of you that have been pregnant, ladies... I feel like I shouldn't have to, like. <laughs> right? But there's a part of me, like, like, we live in the denial of the obvious in our culture. But you know what it's like? It's interesting. So I, I would go into these rooms, give these ladies their food, and then I would collect it. This is what I'm doing. I'm walking down this one part of this hall at HCMC. I saw this Latino woman. She has got a basketball Underneath her gown, she's holding an IV. She's walking because she's trying to, you know, induce this labor. Her little girl's with her, beautiful little child. She's speaking Spanish to her. And I just kind of gave her a little nod and went on to the next room. I heard this scream, blood-curling scream. This shriek of horror. I run back to where this lady was down the hall, and she's now on her back. Her toddler is crying. Obviously, traumatic situation is happening in front of this child's life about their mom, I can only assume. And this lady's on her back, and her knees are kind of in the air, and her gown is over everything. And then all of a sudden, blood and like water just start coming out from underneath this woman. And I'm like, oh, oh my word, what is going on? 
I didn't know her water broke. It's like, now I know. But when you don't know, she's going to die, you know. Not going to give birth to new life. This lady's on her way out. So I run to the nurse's stand. Of course, I'm a North Central student. I'm like, you know, out of breath. And I'm... (laughs) I played music. I mean, it's not like any of these musicians do anything athletic. It's not a bad thing. It's just I was out of breath. So I I tell the nurse's stand, I got to... There's a lady... Baby, water, blood, death. I don't know, you know. She gets on the horn. We got a 581 in progress. You know, and she grabs these towels, grabs a bunch of nurses. Where is she? We go down there, and she, we get down to the, where this lady is, you know, and she's laying there. More blood, more water, more death is coming out of this woman. And the, the nurse gives me these towels, and then she flips open her gown, and I'm sitting here as a Bible college student at the front row of health class. What do, I, what, what, what do I do here? And the nurse gives me the lady's leg. And she says, hold this. Hold what? Her leg. And this Latino lady is yelling in Spanish. I'm picking up a couple of the words. Mostly curse words. And this Little babies born right in front of me. Like the other people showed up, this lady right in the middle of the hospital, the umbilical cord, the whole thing happens. I never wanted to have kids because of it. (laughs) The grit, the sweat, the blood, the tears, the effort it took for this woman to give birth Marked me forever. And here's what I want you to know today. This is a fact. God has given you a gift, but it is going to take work on your behalf to get it out. You will have to discover it, develop it, and deploy it. It will not be something that he merely gives to you and like the autopilot switch turns on and it just comes into fruition. You have a role in the natural as he has already placed something in the supernatural. And the fact you got to know today is that God has given you a gift and it does not belong to you. It belongs to him. He's given you an ability that you will labor over for maybe the rest of your life to bring into this world that brings new life. And it is a gift that is yours and it doesn't belong to you. And the problem in our churches today, in our mindset, including mine, is we love to take our gifts and monetize them into talents. And you must be careful of this because when you sow your gifts into the local body, that's when the church changes. When you sow your talents, you get paid to be there. And there's something pervasive that's happening where we've somehow decided that a worker is worth his wage. And this is true. But sometimes that worker is looking for their gifts to be sown and not a talent to be monetized. 
So be careful what you demand as payment for the gift that God has given you. Is it enough for you to give it back to the Lord or is it something that you must receive goods upon your giving? You bring them into a realm that maybe they never were supposed to be. I see this all the time. People sow their gifts on a worship band and then all of a sudden they get paid to do it and now they love their talents. You know, there's a singer that loves to sow a gift that God's given her and then they sow that gift and then it becomes something that she wants to monetize. Not anybody specific I'm talking about. I'm just simply mentioning this truth that that's when comparison sips in, slips in. Does that make sense? When you give a gift, you're not comparing it to other people. When you sow your talent, you're like, am I the best salesman? Am I the best singer? And in our churches, you know what your pastor needs? You to sow your gifts, not ask to be paid for your talents. Because they're not yours. God gave them to you. Use them to build the kingdom, not your 401ks. God has given you a gift. Now, it matters what we do with those talents. But I'm telling you, some of those things that you have been given, they're for you to be a human being, not a human doing. And they're meant to connect you with your creator. Don't turn everything into a profit lever. Facts. Keep reading in the book of Samuel as we only have 20 minutes left. Chapter 3. First book of Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever lived in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1? Put your hand up. Where the word of the Lord is rare, and visions were infrequent. You're in a desert, a dry time, a place where you didn't feel God, where you're like, I'm in a spiritual wasteland. Raise your hand if you have ever been in this part of Scripture, where you wonder where God went, and you feel dead inside and it's like you don't know put your hand up put it up if put it up if you've ever felt put it up all the way leave it up those of you that aren't raising your hands you're either lying or you actually are just so holy or lazy I can't tell put your hand up if you've ever had a dry time if you've ever had a spell where you're like everybody in this room put it up everybody's included in this conversation okay okay leave it up I didn't say put it down now look around just look around. Every hand is up. If I was going to paint with a broad brush, anybody who's a follower of Jesus have felt these moments where there's a dry time, where the distance is sometime between you and God. And can I talk to my son that's here today? Xavier, you are here in this room, and you need to know this, son, that sometimes there are moments when you come to Lake Geneva where God will impress upon you, and it's like his thumb is on you, and there's this power encounter that you will have. There's this infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit that will happen in your life, and it's this beautiful moment where you are on cloud 110, and you're like, this, I felt God. It's like he whispered to me. It's like I saw 
saw everything and felt all of it. And then there's going to be times, young man, that you will be in a desert where you will wonder where God went. You will wonder why you feel dry. You will wonder why this distance is now there when it felt so closed before. And can I just tell my own sons that are here that you need to know this, that sometimes the distance you feel between you and God is not a distance of kilometers, meters, miles, or fathoms. It's a distance in character. And what God is doing in you is changing things within you, and you're growing, becoming more like Christ, less like yourself, and the glaring, obvious place where the Holy Spirit's continuing to work There's a distance that you feel because there's a distance you are to close. I want you to know that like sometimes you feel those dry times and let me encourage you in this. Sometimes those things the Holy Spirit leaves intentionally in your life so you can base your relationship with God not on what you feel but on what you know. And it's a maturing that's bringing about the eventual goal of the truth and the conviction that the Holy Spirit has for you, and that's to make you into the image of Christ. That's his eventual goal. And there's space that needs to be given at times. Do you remember last night when people were here at Teen Challenge? And they talked about their life, how it was like God was so real to them? Well, there are going to be moments where God won't feel real to them. And you have to make a decision to be disciplined. Can I just say something, not as a point of rebuke, but as a point of encouragement? Why aren't there this many people um, at prayer at 7.30? Because I'm, I'm just asking the question because I know it's late and it's family camp and the rest of it. But I'm asking you, prayer sometimes is a discipline and a decision more than it is a feeling. You have to get your butt out of bed and get up and shower early, get your kids ready, get yourself aligned, get everybody over here by 7.30. Are you kidding me? What part of that sounds fun? What part of it? None of it. For me as a dad, I would encourage you to be disciplined in this area of prayer. There are moments in your life where you will discipline yourself in spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting, different message, different time that are intentionally having you close the distance between you and God. My son, Xavier and Xander, Xander's a wrestler. He's learning how to skate. He's going to play hockey. I I hope uh, his dreams can come true. That's up to him, not me. But if my kids get hurt on a football field, I run over to them. Like right now, when my kids are little, my little eight-year-old daughter, Zeta, if she was, um, you know, hurt, fell off her bike here at Lake Geneva, I run over and I make sure she's okay. And I tender her wounds and I'm like, there. Same with my sons. Could you imagine Xander, my 10-year-old boy, when he's hurt, I walk over and I make sure he's okay. But let's fast forward the tape to where he's in, in high school and he's at the state wrestling champ or he just took a check up against the boards and his ears are ringing and he's bleeding out of like a couple holes in his face and I'm in the stands and I run down from the stands in the middle of the game or the middle of the match and I go, buddy, are you okay? 
let me, let me help you out here. Why does every parent think infecting the wound is going to help? But the truth is, the fact that I want you to know is that sometimes that space God allows, it's so you can, you can decide to grow in that moment. He lets you get up on your own and move forward. See, Jesus talks about this in Luke 12. You see a storm, you, um, you, you, you can see the clouds, but you can't perceive the time. And the fact that you need to know today, let me encourage you in this simple truth. Just because you don't feel God's hand doesn't mean he's not working. The desert is a growing place. There is life in the desert. In fact, there are more things that God can grow in you in your dry times than in your times where you feel like you are swimming in the ocean of liquid love. Does that make sense to you? The fact of the matter is, that the desert is God's place for you to become like Christ. Embrace those seasons. Don't avoid those moments. Walk through them. Don't try and get out of them. I walk through you in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't pluck you out of that. The first fact, your gift doesn't belong to you. And the second fact I just want to leave you with today is that God's working in the desert. The Lord called to Samuel and he said, here I am. God calls to Samuel and Samuel says, here I am. He runs to Eli and he says, you called me, what's up? And he says, I didn't call you, go lay back down. Don't come in here again. He goes, lays back down. The Lord calls him again, Samuel. Simba, look around. <laughs> so Samuel arose and went to Eli, and Eli said, Samuel, I did not call you the second time. You go back, in, you go lay down, or I'm going to put you down. Now Samuel did not know that the Lord was calling him, or the word of the Lord had been revealed to him, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. Time and he rose and went to Eli. And I said, Last time I promised, Mom. How many of you have ever had your kids come in your bedroom on rotation? I have three children. I think they actually take shifts sometimes. You know, Xavier gets his iPad out. All right, uh, Xander, all right, you got him from 12 to 2. Um, I'm going to go in at 2.30 on a surprise thing. Zeta, I'm going to, you come in with me, hide underneath the bed so at 4 a.m. you can start banging underneath it. Zip it, pal. <laughs> it's my son up there. My kids are going to heckle me now. But the truth is, is, the third time he says, all right, when you hear this again, tell the Lord that you're listening. How many of you have ever wished that God would just text you? Put your hand up. Come on. This is just like the last little exercise. How many of you wish, I know, you, look, at this is what it does. How many of you wish God would just text you? Put your hand up. Like, you're wondering what you need for X, Y, and Z decision. You need to know what to do. You're at a crossroads. You're like, what am I supposed to, how should I, could you just text me, Lord? 
Wouldn't that be easy? Like, bloop. Oh, okay, I'll go to Chipotle. Sounds good. I was confused. Glad the Lord cleared that up. How many of you have um, ever had, random question, how many of you have ever had a zit? Some people call them blemishes. That's the fancy word. Some people call them pimples. Some of you have had boils. How many of you have ever had a zit? Like, it's just bad. It hurts. It's got its own zit code. (laughs) You can feel its pulse. You know what I'm talking about? And you look in the mirror, if you've ever had a blemish on your face, and you, and you go, I have a huge zit. But you don't use your lips to make that. You just tell yourself you have that. I mean, how many of you have ever used your internal speaking voice about yourself? Put your hand up. Okay. How many of you just wish you could hear God's voice? You wish he could text you. You wish you heard him like Samuel heard him. How many of you have ever struggled with hearing God's voice and you wonder what it sounds like and you feel like he's not speaking? I want you to know that that internal speaking voice is where God speaks to you. You have all heard God's voice. Facts. That internal speaking voice that you talk to yourself about that blemish in your face or in your life is the same thing the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, about a blemish or a conviction that isn't of Christ. And you say it to yourself without moving your lips. Everybody say yes, but in their mind. Ready? One, two, three. Some of you said yes out loud. <laughs> I, you're totally busted. Your neighbor was like, are you not listening? This guy's actually pretty good. I'm having fun. This is the morning session. One more time. Say yes, but you don't say it with your voice. Don't use your diaphragm, your lungs, your vocal cords. Just yes in your mind. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. (laughs) One lady. There's always one lady. Stick with me. Come on. We've got five more sessions, lady. (laughs) That was awesome. Some of it you can't plan. God just does. Thank you for that gift that ministered to me. But the word yes that most of you used in your mind to say the word yes was what? Just your inside speaking voice. Here's a fact for you. You've all heard God's voice. Stop asking God to speak to you. He speaks to you every day. He's speaking in that space. Now, some of you have actually audibly heard the voice of God. I will not discount that. I will not argue that. It happened here. It certainly can happen now. There's been times, especially on a few of my trips to Africa, that I literally, in Kenya, I can't explain it. I don't know how or why it happened, but I turned around, and I'm like, I'm crazy. You've already heard God's voice. That is a fact. I want you to know this. So you need to know this. The enemy doesn't want you to know this truth. The enemy doesn't want you to know this fact, but you have heard God's voice. That's where he speaks. That's the best way I can explain it to you. Now, the truth is, is what is you speaking 
And what is the Holy Spirit teaching or convicting? God's voice will never contradict God's ways or his word. God's voice will never contradict the ways of Christ or the word of God. That's a great spot. Uh, like if I could give you a threefold filter where you put in all the voices, you kind of got to ask yourself, does this um, submit itself to the finished work of the cross? Is this the covenant that we are even in? People do this all the time. They love to live in Leviticus when we live on the other side of the cross. Does this submit to the finished work of the cross, the death, burial, resurrection, the complete, connected gospel? Or am I drumming up something from some other spot where God's written covenant with us and I'm projecting the past into my future and it's got nothing to do with me? There's maybe a moral, a lesson, a truth, a value, but in Christ, post-cross, death and burial, resurrection, the game has been changed. The whole system, it's a whole new thing. It's not an old wine. It's a new wine and a new wineskin. Sometimes people love to talk about old wine. Not AG people. Relax. But the truth is, is you get this point. Is it? Filter one, submitted to the finished work of the cross. Second level of the filter, okay? Um, does this submit to the ways in God's word? And then the third filter, if you're really wondering what is you, what is God, what do your Eli's say? What do the people in your life that God has placed around you as spiritual counsel say? Samuel didn't know it. He didn't hear it. He had to ask Samuel. The fact that you need to know is you have all heard God's voice. Last and not least, I got one-fourth in four minutes. The fourth fact in four minutes. You ready? I'll give you the answer, and then we'll talk through it. Following Jesus is going to cost you something, but it's going to pay someone or yourself so much more. That is a fact. Following Jesus will cost you something, and it will pay you or someone else so much more. And if it's not costing you anything to follow Christ, then you're not following Christ. You're following something altogether different. It might be a religion. It might be a clubhouse. It might be a brand. It might be a social media account. But if it's not costing you something, you're not following the Jesus that's here and here. Does that make sense? There's going to be a cost. And it pays you and it pays other people so much more. That is a fact. There's this portion of scripture in Samuel chapter 4 where the Philistines take the ark in victory. I will recap the story. Day one, they go out, fight the Philistines, okay? They leave the Ark of the Covenant, God, back in the camp. They lost 4,000 people in battle. They're like, what the heck is going on? We're God's people. We're supposed to be winning these battles, not losing them. So they go, you know what? We probably uh, need to revisit our military plan, and we maybe should bring God to the battle. So they bring the Ark, They bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God goes with them in this box out to the battle, and then the second time they fight, 3,000 people die. No, excuse me, I got that number wrong. 30,000 people die. And they're looking around, what is going on? We're not supposed to lose here. And if you continue to read the story, you may do that at 
your leisure, but it doesn't end in that defeat. You see, the cost that sometimes we get so focused on is the little battle we're in when God has already won the war. There's more to the story. We're just in this moment. And following Christ will cost you something, but it will pay somebody so much more. I got a friend named Sanji who God called him to plant a church in India. And he did this amazing thing that no one would do. You couldn't gather like this in this part of uh, the world for fear of being um, imprisoned or your head being removed from your shoulders. And so God was calling him here to plant this church. And so his church, this underground church, was thriving. It was growing. And on his way to this church with his wife on, on his motorcycle, men that were not for this kingdom of God that was evading this space uh, ran a tightrope or a, a, a rope across the, the road so they would pull it tight when he came around his motorcycle. And he flipped over the handlebars and the men converged on him and on his wife. And I can't even share with you, even with my 13-year-old son here, what happened to his wife in front of him. And they killed her and they beat him almost to the point of his life being taken. And three months later, he wakes up from a coma. Another nine months later, he figures out how to walk. And then the Holy Spirit, where truth and conviction come from, not popular opinion, not personal feelings, the fact of forgiveness, and we're going to talk about that tonight, invades his life and God says, I want you to go back to the space and forgive these men who did this to you and to your wife. He goes and he shares the story. And these men that did this to this church planner were so overwhelmed with truth, with conviction, not majority and not personal feeling, but with the fact that God's word and his ways through his people is where truth is found. That they gave their life to Christ. And the things and the events that transpired, heaven will only know. There's a lot of facts. There's a lot of sources of truth that people will want to try and give you. Personal convictions, popular majority. But I wanted to give you only four. There are more. But I only had time for four facts that you have a gift it doesn't belong to you sow it into the kingdom don't monetize everything it's killing your church you have all heard God's voice stop asking him for her to speak and start putting it through the filter of his word the covenant that you're in and ask your Eli's you may be in a desert time, but that is God's place to grow you like no other space. This is a fact. And what you all need to know is that following Jesus may cost you something, but it will pay you and someone else so much more.
We'll see you back here tonight. You've got a full day. I will pray for you, and you're dismissed because it's 12.02, and the Holy Spirit's been done for two minutes. <laughs> it's a fact.